Please stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. Our text this morning is the very first Palm Sunday, taken from Luke 19, starting in verse 28. Please follow along. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You should say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is God's word. If you'd like to follow in your Bibles, it is Luke 19. I believe it would be page 1117 in your Bibles, Pew Bibles. As we began Lent, we studied the temptations of Jesus Christ while he was in the wilderness. And we asked the question, Can Jesus empathize with us? Because he really experienced what we experienced. Does he feel what we feel? And as we explored that passage, the answer was a resounding yes. Jesus has gone through much more than we will ever go through. So we were left with the question, can we empathize with Jesus? Can we understand what he has gone through for us? Can we feel what he has felt on our behalf? And I think we all sensed that the answer was a resounding no. And so we left with the the consideration of using the period of Lent to explore the heart of Jesus Christ and what he went through so we can understand his heart in much much deeper ways. So we could draw all that much more closer to Jesus Christ. And so I want to do that with this message on Palm Sunday and on 
Monday, Thursday as well. Let's pray. Our Father, these are just going to be words spoken from the pulpit today, but Lord, may they be faithful to your word, but most of all, may they be taken by the Spirit of God and make real what isn't so real to us. Draw us, draw us to the heart of Jesus Christ. Amen. Palm Sunday, tremendous celebration. The people shouting, rejoicing. And we had a taste of that this morning as our children came through the the sanctuary waving their palms and our little ones sang precious songs just like children sang praises to Jesus that that day. And we experienced the, the, the praises and the exultation and hosannas to Jesus as King as we sang them ourselves. And then we had the very special experience of looking at the work of Jesus Christ and the lives of two, two of our younger ones. So this has been a tremendous celebration, but we just taste today what Jesus must have been experiencing on that first Palm Sunday. And yet as this passage unfolds, we see near the end that the rejoicing around Jesus turns to sorrow in the heart of Jesus. And we want to explore that today. What's going on? And so we're going to look at the setting. We're going to look at the response of Jesus. And then we're going to look at the reason for that response. Because it's a response to the real response that Jerusalem had to him that day. So the, the setting is, this is the coronation of Christ. Everything in this passage cries that out. Zechariah 9, 9, written 500 years before, prophesied this day. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus intentionally fulfills this prophecy this day. He sends his disciples off to get the colt. He mounts the colt. The rest is up to the people to recognize him, and they apparently do, for they sing praises of Hosanna. In the Old Testament, the word Hosanna was used for salvation and was often a cry of, Lord, bring salvation now. But it certainly was a, a shout of praise and exultation. They, they took off their cloaks and they laid it before the colt, just like you would take off your robes and lay them before a king for him to walk on them. And the, the blessing that they, they cry out is, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. They are saying it right there. Blessed is the king. This is the day of coronation. It should be a day of celebration and rejoicing as is being experienced here. But as they turn closer to Jerusalem, we see Jesus begins to weep. And, and that's, not a, that's not an expected response. I mean, this is Jesus' day. The day is always made about 
him, that person. I mean, think of uh, the wedding day. We fawn over the, the newly married couple. It's their day, their day to enjoy, to, to, to think about themselves and their future and all their friends that have surrounded them to celebrate. Or a graduation day. It's all about the graduate or the birthday, especially special birthdays. We, they, people gather together to celebrate a person and they should bask in that celebration. But we don't see that here. Jesus weeps. He weeps. Why? Because Jesus, it's never about himself. He always considers others more important than himself. And so though he is being celebrated, he looks and he sees Jerusalem. He knows the future of Jerusalem and his response isn't anger that within days they're going to take him and crucify him. It's a broken heart because he sees what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And he says... Verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. They'll surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Jesus foresees the destruction that will come upon Jerusalem when God removes his protective hand in a few decades. God is going to judge. It breaks the heart of Christ. Because none of us likes this kind of judgment. The whole city is going to be torn down. It is not popular to talk about God's judgment. To many, it seems archaic, medieval, from the dark ages. Our modern sensibilities don't resonate with God judging. Instead, we like to think of him as he's loving. And because he's loving, he can just overlook all of the rebellion and sin against him. That's the way we want God to be, and it's often the way we choose to see God rather than the God of Scripture. Jesus looks at Jerusalem, and he doesn't say, God, I don't want this to happen. Don't don't let it happen. Instead, his heart is broken because he knows judgment will fall. I've looked at some posts that talk about God's judgment, and, and one of them Uh, God was called the sky spook monster who would judge. Another talked about God uh, enjoying this sadistic entertainment of judgment. And that's often reflective of what some people feel about God's judgment. Jesus is not enjoying this. He's weeping. And the word weeping here isn't like soft crying. It's loud wailing. 
It's, it's cries of agony as though the most precious loved one has died. Jesus is crying out over the city. But judgment has to fall because God is just. And in reality, we truly would have it no other way. Because we all want justice, at least for ourselves and and our loved ones. In fact, if we don't want justice, if a, a horrific crime falls upon one of our deepest loved ones, we don't just brush it off. If we did, we'd be dis- disrespecting and unthoughtful and unloving toward the one who's been harmed and hurt. I mean, from the earliest ages, for our toddlers, one of the things that comes out of their mouths most often is, that's not fair. And our response is, life isn't fair. But inside we're saying, but it should be. If a, if a man was caught and tried for murder and there was video evidence and he had bought to purchase the weapon and only his fingerprints were on the weapon and there was 12 witnesses and he confessed to the murder and so he comes before the judge and the judge says, guilty, but you're free to go. We would dispense with that judge as quickly as possible. And yet for some reason... Don't we want God to be as just as the judges that are here on earth and how just we want them to be? Do you recall the feeling after the bombings at the the marathon? And President Obama came forth and he said this. He said, no mistake, we will get to the bottom of this. We will find out who did this. We'll find out why they did it. Any responsible individuals, any responsible groups will feel the full weight of justice. And it heartened us that our president was seeking justice. Three days later, to a rousing applause, he said, that's the message we send to those who carried this out and everyone who would do harm to our people. Yes, we will find you. And yes, you will face justice. And we cheer because our hearts cry out for justice. One of the greatest movements right now is for justice. Millions of volunteers, multiple organizations are seeking justice for those being human trafficked, for those... uh, who are experiencing racism, for the poor, those who are suffering injustices and enslavements and genocide. We cry out for justice and we work for justice and that's right and that's good. Do we think that we can spit in the face of God? Twist who he is, make him in any image we want him to be. Rebel against him usurp his throne and our lives, drag his name through the mud, crucify God, say, God, you're loving. You don't need to be just. We cry out for justice. And Jesus' heart is broken 
when it takes place. In Luke 13, just a few chapters earlier, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You hear the heart of Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He wants to be that mother hen protecting him, protecting them. He wants to protect Jerusalem, but they would have nothing to do with him. And so he weeps. He weeps over that because Jesus has the biggest heart of compassion. It's always compassion about Jesus. Multiple times before he performs a miracle, it says he looks on the crowd and he felt compassion. Even when he makes up the parable about the Good Samaritan, he tells the story about the priest who comes and looks at the man who's been beaten and walks away, and the Levi who comes and looks at the man who was beaten and walks away. But when the Good Samaritan comes, he looks at the man and he is filled with compassion. And then he works. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. He is so compassionate that when he is on the cross and he looks down upon those who are crucifying him, those who've brought incredible misjustice, those who are mocking him while he is being crucified, and he says, Father, forgive them. He is so compassionate, he will take all of our abuse and not want us to be judged. He speaks of one sin that will forever separate us from God, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He never says blasphemy of the Son of God is an unforgivable sin. No. We can blaspheme about Christ. We can say he, he's demonic. We can try to convince others that he is evil. We can arrest him. We can beat him. We can crown him with thorns and we can crucify him. And yet, we still can have eternal life. That's the heart of Jesus. God is just. Therefore, judgment will fall. And this passage tells us in verse 44 and 45 why it will fall. All of this will happen because you did not know the time of your visitation. What he's saying is, you didn't get today. See, today, Palm Sunday, is, is the, the coming of the king and Israel's fate in many ways and Jerusalem's fate rested on their reception of their king or their rejection of their king. This day had been foretold in history. We saw it in Zechariah 9.9. Daniel 9 actually gives a timetable for the entry of the Messiah. And it talks about 69 weeks, periods of seven years. And uh, Professor 
New Testament professor Harold Honer did some chronology and finding the start date and looking at the Jewish calendar and the Roman calendar, and he saw that the end date of those 69 weeks is in the month of the triumphal entry in A.D. 33. It's clear in this passage when Jesus himself says, if we were to silence my disciples, the stones would cry it out. This was the day of Jesus' visitation. And they reject the king, but they also reject what the king has come to bring them. Jesus says, I came in peace, but shalom. Now, we would all be excited if there was peace on earth, especially today. But this peace is speaking much more than absence of war and absence of conflict. This peace, the shalom, is, speaks of peace as life was meant to be. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with one another. Death overcome by eternal life. Tears wiped away. Sickness vanquished. And Jesus saying, this is the offer to Jerusalem. This is the offer to anyone who would accept me. Why do we reject that? But we do. And there's no excuse. There's certainly no excuse for Jerusalem. They had all the proof necessary to see that Jesus was the Messiah. When at the very inception of his ministry, he quotes Isaiah, the prophecy concerning the Messiah. And then he goes and performs all the miracles and deeds that that prophecy speaks about. And he does more. And the people know it. In fact, this verse tells us at the beginning, the people are singing praises because they knew about Jesus' miracles. They were not done in the corner. They were not denied. They were accepted in the first century. Somehow 2,000 years later, we seem to know more than the eyewitnesses. There was enough evidence, but they rejected the evidence. There's enough evidence today. We have no excuse. But then we might look at this passage and say, what is Jesus talking about that they didn't accept him? Look at the crowds. The crowds are crying, Hosanna. They're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet Jesus says they didn't accept him. And maybe there's a hint in Jesus' words, if the disciples were quiet, the stones would cry out. You see, Jesus had to be proclaimed, whether it was from stony hearts or real stones. And I think what we see is there were stony hearts because many of these few days down hence would cry out, not Hosanna, but crucify him. You see, it's possible for us to go through all the motions without having real faith. It is a story a few of you have heard probably a few times. But when I was in seminary, I got moved to go down to the mall and pass out around Christmas time and pass out some tracts that told about Jesus. And as I'd pass them out, I'd say, I want to share with you the real meaning of Christmas. And people would take them and thank me. 
one, one young man stopped and he started to open it and read it. And so we got engaged and I said, so why do you think we celebrate Christmas? And he says, it's the birth of Christ. Yeah. And out of all the people in the world, every religious leader would think we pick his day, to this day, his birth to exalt him. Confidently, he said, because he's Savior of the world. I decided to ask one more question. So what does it mean that he's Savior of the world? The young man looked at me and said, beats me. You see, a few years earlier, I was that man. I went, I went to church, and then when I had an opportunity, I stopped going to church. But I'd go on Christmas, and I would go on Easter. I learned about the birth of Christ. I learned Jesus was Savior. I could parrot it out there. But I had no real sense of what it meant that Jesus is Savior, that I was a drowning man who desperately needed the lifeguard to come and rescue me. It was just terminology. I think it was just terminology there. And what we see is judgment is going to fall, he says, because they missed the day of visitation. He doesn't say judgment's going to fall because of all of your sin, because of your, because you have killed the prophets and you have stoned all of those who have tried to lead you, uh, because you have worshipped the golden calf and you, you exalted Baal over me and now you take my son and you're going to crucify him. He doesn't say that's the reason they're going to be judged. He says they're going to be judged because they miss the day of visitation. John chapter 3, verses 17 and, and 18 say it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. You see, judgment falls on us mainly and ultimately because we don't accept Jesus as Savior. Consider this. A man takes poison and he's dying. And there's an antidote, and the antidote is offered to that man. But he pushes it aside. He refuses to take that antidote, and then he dies. Why did he die? We might say we died because of the poison. That certainly is true. That's what corrupted him. But he ultimately could have been saved. Ultimately, he died because he refused to take the medicine. And that's what John 3 is saying. That's what the day of visitation is about. Yes, we can blaspheme Jesus and still be saved because the medicine of eternal life is offered by Jesus Christ. God is just. And if he is just, there is a judgment. A judgment upon sin. And we, we who've pushed God aside, we who've 
taken his place on the throne of our lives. We have twisted who God is. We who have called evil good and good evil. We who have failed dramatically to love God and to love one another as we should. We are lovers of self. We are in trouble. Because God is just. But we see Jesus' heart goes out to us. And so we say, Jesus, if you love us so much, why don't you do something about it? He did. That's what we celebrate this weekend. Jesus Christ has stepped into our place of judgment. He took God's just judgment that should have fallen on us and he took it upon his shoulders so that he died the death that we deserve so we could live the life that he deserves. He satisfied God's justice and yet can bring forgiveness. National Geographic talked of uh, the aftermath of a fire in the Yellowstone Park. And the rangers were, were sifting through all the tree, and one ranger came upon a bird petrified in ashes standing at the base of a tree. He was so sickened by the sight that he took a stick and he knocked that bird over. Three live chicks came scurrying out. They, the bird gave its life for the chicks and they came under their mother's wings and lived. Had they not, they too would have perished. Luke 13, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you weren't willing. Jesus is willing to accept. He died for those who killed the prophets, those who stoned Stephen, and those who crucified the Son of God so that he offers shelter under his wings. He begs us to take shelter. Many of us have, and we will be with him forever. Many of us have not. They will fall. And when Jesus fall, when they fall, Jesus will be weeping for them. That's the heart of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, may your spirit help us to understand the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is so incomprehensible. We have not touched the very surface of his love. 
Yet, your spirit, break our hearts as you broke Jesus' heart. Break our hearts for those who are lost. Break our hearts over what Jesus went through for us so that we might come under that umbrella of the love of Christ and fall into a deep, rich, everlasting love relationship with him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.